Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. This woman is a lyrical genius. Let me welcome to the show uh, poet, activist, Kyla Janae Lacey. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Yay. How do you do this? <laughs> First of all, how yeah. many voices in your head do you write it out first? And then you like, is this, this can't be just free flow. Like, when does it come to you, Kyla? I honestly, that poem, I'm trying to remember the writing process for that one. I do know that was the most difficult poem for me to learn, to like memorize. It was really, it took like a long, long time. Cause I, I think I first attempted it like years ago and I couldn't get it. It took like about a year of just like going over it, over it to learn that poem. That was a difficult one to learn. Freaking brilliant. And thank you. It's interesting today, R. Kelly's going to court and of course he's pleading not guilty. And I was going to have this conversation later on with Dr. Reverend Starsky Wilson, because I think R. Kelly, Bill Cosby, all of these cases speak volumes about our dysfunction as people, but especially as black people, because we can't seem to figure out that there's a dude, there's a right and wrong here. And You, we we can't separate ourselves from I, I love this person and their art and also maybe identify a little too much. So if I if I say he's wrong, then I'm wrong. And this grappling is leading us to a place that I think, you know, we ain't going to get it together. If we don't figure this out. Actually, ironically, the very first time I had any viral content was um, a blog that I wrote. And it was called You Might Be Rapey Too, The Real Reason People Are Supporting Bill Cosby and R. Kelly. And it was about a lot of how we see these actions as as being innocuous because they're so ingrained in our culture of how we interact with sex, of how, you know, or like there's like songs, you know, like this club so packed, these hoes so drunk, like how getting women, you know, inebriated is, is, or outside of themselves is somehow part of the courting experience. What do we do yeah, this with this? Is... Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, this is, you know, I'll, I'll jump on this kind of uh, a new call. Like, I, I appreciate your work, um, you. uh, and particularly this piece before it's, um, it lives at this intersection of what you, how you identify as a feminist and a blacktivist. Um, uh, and I think, you know, it speaks to even the nature of this performance speaks to the intersectional lens that we got to bring to our existence, including to your point, Karen, a new frame on what black, what mask, what black masculinity is, what are its marks, uh, and whether it is marked by, uh, domination. I mean, the same thing you're kind of talking about here, Kyla, like what, what are the, what are the things that we tend to honor, uh, and regard? Uh, and that's, I mean, what you just uh, framed in the situation with R. Kelly and with uh, Bill Cosby is a crisis of imagination of what Black, mas- black masculinity is to be uh, and how it inter- intersects and uh, interacts with uh, other identities, including feminist identities, uh, including, you know, the, the men that I know who I ended- who identify as feminists, right, uh, with womanist theologies and the pastors who um, who understand their their grounding and interpretation to be uh, based upon their identity as Black women, not just as Black people, not just as women. Um, so one of the reasons why I appreciate this particular piece. 
but what do we do with this, right? Um, again, R. Kelly's standing trial today. There's still people who will cuss you out and get into fights. R. Kelly less than Bill Cosby to this day that people still will fight and say all those women were lying. They were setting him up because of NBC because he wanted. To, I mean, to this day, what do we do with that? Um, the baby apologized and he took his apology back. But people were rightfully saying no one had a problem with the problematic lyrics of all of the violence and misogyny that were peppering all of his songs. No one had a problem with that. Why don't we have a problem with that? Why don't we have a problem with, you know, the skeet, skeet, skeet and all of the, you know, all of the songs. I mean, Mr. Kyle, didn't he go to jail for rape? All of that. Right. We didn't have a problem. We will dance to it and sing the lyrics. Music decorates moments for us. And so in that we attach this emotional feeling to music so much. And, you know, nobody hears music, you know, that they like absolutely hate and attach moments to that nearly as much as they hear music that they love and attach moments to that. So R. Kelly represents so much nostalgia for people that they have to, you know, separate or let go by not listening to his music that a lot of people just aren't ready to do. I mean, we see that with other musical acts, you know, that have questionable or uh, behaviors and then we refuse to kind of let them go because again, they're, they're attached to something good to us. And Bill Cosby is, is no different than that. Like Bill Cosby is attached to this this black excellence, this black goal of of what I want to be or aspire to, or, or the the model black family to have, and it's it, even though it, we we also recognize that it's not real, right? Like it's it's literally characters, but it recogn- it's it's something that we've attached something good to. So how do we how do we break through to be able to have community? Because I do think in many ways, even when we talk about Black Lives Matter, you know, even when we talk about the work that's being done in the midst of it, George Floyd allowed for everybody to get out there and do all the work. Right. But as we move forward, there's work that needs to be done that at some point the car crash happens because we can't get out of our way that really have this conversation that will lead us to healing. We're we're dysfunctional right now. I don't know what to do, but I see it play out in so many different ways. Reverend Dr. Starsky Wilson, you want to ring in on that? Well, I was, I was actually going to ask how that, like, how do we get people? I was, I was struck by music decorates moments for us. Right. Uh, and you know, how many times have we been in a conversation, uh, about these inappropriate lyrics? It's like, man, I just like the beat. I mean, there's, you know, there's, cause that's where the music is and thinking about um, your work as a writer, um, how do we get people to push beyond the decoration of the literal music to the actual content? Like, I think in some cases, when you talk about the, the, the baby and others, my wife, me and my wife still tell my 16 year old that like these dudes not really rapping. Like she tells them, she calls them mumble mouth rappers. Um, like these, like, I don't know what these cats are saying. Um, so I wonder about how we get to actual content. How do we get people to focus on the value and the beauty of words, how they can be used so that we're attaching to something or at least we're evaluating the thing based upon the face of what it is saying. Uh, So how do you do that? How do we do that? I think all music also, you know, provides some sort of escapism, right? Like, you know, uh, 
you know, I'm in the car selling drugs. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a trap star today, you know, and, and on the way to Target. Uh, but it provides some sort of like grander than life current situation. Like, you know, the best love you've ever had, the, you know, uh, making the most money you've ever made. Like music provides this way to have access to lives that aren't ours. But also, you know, it's it's very difficult for us to hold musicians accountable when honestly we don't hold people in our lives accountable the same way we want to hold these musicians accountable. We don't hold the the you know the the perpetrators of violence in our own families accountable. So you know, if we're not doing those things, it's not going to permeate into to the music that we really listen to. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. Um, how'd you become a writer? Tell us your 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 story. My first poem was probably, it was copy, was not probably, was copyrighted when I was 10. I just always loved words. I loved uh, different languages. I studied different languages. I've always kind of been opinionated and had something to say. And the more I could learn on how to say it, uh, I just absorbed all of that. So 10 year old Kyla, Kyla uh, Lacey growing up where? So that's interesting because up until the age of nine, I lived in inner city Chicago. And then we moved to the very white suburbs of Seminole County, Florida, which is, I grew up about 20 minutes away from where Trayvon Martin was murdered, actually. So it was a very, very different uh, life. Like I legitimately didn't know that Black people were minorities until I moved to Florida. So I went from you know, being surrounded by mostly, you know, people who look like me to being one of only two Black people on average from fourth grade to, to graduation. And so 10 years old, do you remember that poem? I do. I do. It 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 uh it stood on the wall for a long time and at my mom's house, I was able to, it's, it's a really emo poem for a 10 year old, but uh, it's the world, all the confusion, all the neglect, all the hatred and disrespect, all the helplessness and all the lies, all the people who are losing their lives, all the homeless and all the dead. Uh, very emo. Very. Uh, but that was that was my poem when I was ten years old. So, and you and they know, kind of like what where'd that come from? I'm I'm in this space right now with you know Nikki Giovanni and Sonia Sanchez. Like that, how do it free us? It's like that's my mantra right now. We could talk about all, but how do it free us? We, you know, poetry is so personal, you know, as a publisher, I didn't publish it because, you know, it hits differently with different people. And how do you commercialize it? And you're in the business of making money. And mm -hmm. how do you know what's going to hit? Because it's not like a you know, fiction or nonfiction, which you understand. How do you approach poetry and, and is commercial, you know, selling your poems, uh, being out there commercially because you're giving it away on 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 social media? Yeah, kind of in a bad way. Um, well, one of the things is I'm always my first audience member. Um, I think a lot of times poets focus on everybody else externally, and I'm I'm always writing for me first. I also recognize the difference between something specific to me and something that happens to me that happens to other people. So I can write from a place that, yes, this happened to me first, and this is a poem that is only just for me versus this this poem happened to me first 
but this is a poem that I want to share with other people. So there's a difference in terms of my, I wouldn't say that my writing necessarily changes, but there is, is definitely, I recognize when there's a more general audience for my poetry versus this is just me. This is something that I want to write that I don't want anybody else to hear. We're with, uh, mm-hmm. Ky- so I just want to reintroduce her. Kylie, Kyla Lacey, Kyla underscore Lacey, uh, L-A-C-E-Y on the Twitters. And her Twitter, if you follow her on Twitter, it's it's a joy. Uh, she's funny, irreverent, and she's got some great memes. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Wilson. No, I just, uh, thinking about spaces and communities, um, I think this kind of brilliance doesn't come forth without some, like, there's a place that yeah, you're able to going. go and do it. And then there are people who nurture it. So I was just going to ask, like, what were the spaces that nurtured this in you, whether it's early or late? And then who were the people? Like, who, who are the folks around you? Not just inspiring, but investing in you becoming a writer. Um, so that's a hard thing to answer because my mother is the person I grew up with mostly um, since we moved to Chicago. And I also uh, kind of amateur professionally paint too. Uh, I do like walls and stuff. So I've always just art. It's always been kind of part of who I am. I've never been able to not be art or some sort of entertaining, you know, I was a thespian in high school. Like I've always just kind of exuded this, you know, color. Uh, And it was kind of weird because my mother, you know, was not like that. So having to, you know, groom an artist was, was a bit difficult for her. My father was the painter. And, uh, but for me, you know, it was just, I really loved language. And I will say she definitely cultivated that. Uh, my favorite teacher was my, my high school German teacher. And I still talk to her to this day. But to be honest, I mean, even though it wasn't for a lack of trying, I, you know, I grew, again, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. I got C's in English and, and I was writing in papers, but, you know, I mean, that's, it's always subjective. So uh, the test scores didn't agree with that, but I, to be honest, I really didn't have this nurturing from my art until I was like in my twenties. And, and, you know, I was much farther behind the curve than other people were when they started writing poetry, you know, when they, you know, I was just kind of like very much a late bloomer into being an artist. I mean, you know, save poems about the world at 10. So how do you make a living? Uh, So I mostly entertain college students. Um, I've been starting my mural business uh, recently, and um, I do like shows, writing here and there. So writing blogs, freelance. I've I've done it all. I've even done some homework. Uh, but I've you know anything art or writing, I I do you know entertaining. Like I've done over about about three hundred colleges. I've performed at. So I do like a one woman show of poetry and comedy and storytelling at colleges and has the pandemic kind of yeah COVID definitely made it a bit more difficult but I did a few zooms which was nice to you know at least be in my own bed at night but uh COVID definitely uh put a strain on the finances so I mean you know I'm not alone so you're also known for your uh interesting Twitter names that you change quite frequently I do change them yes Uh, I do change them frequently Wyclef Jean-Michel Basquiat what do you what do you mm-hmm. have do you know what the next one's going to be or they just come I to you? think the next one is going to be I like write them down let me see what was the next one? I just wrote one literally this morning I was like cracking myself up uh <laughs> Helen Keller of Troy 
I think I'm going to do that one. Um, let's see. Uh, I did. I think I'm going to do uh, Don't Believe the Hype Williams. Where I might he? do Jean, uh, Wyclef Jean Valjean oh. and then Victor Hugo Boss. Like I I love to, to change them. Uh, it just kind of comes to me. But I've had some favorites. Martin Luther Vandross was a favorite. Audrey Lord Willing, Tony, Tony, Tony Morrison. Uh, so I've had some of uh, Vladimir, Vladimir Puta was a lot of people's favorites. <laughs> was uh, are you going to put this in, in, into book form? Are you, is, is this going to make it into a book? All of these what, things? What, the, the Twitter names? All, no, everything, all of it. <sighs> So I've been trying to work, you know, it's so many things at once. I think that's like the hardest thing about me is I have 30,000 things going on and I need to kind of like focus, but that's so hard because I just kind of like, I want to do that again. Uh, so I'm, you know, writing a poetry book, but I'm actually thinking about, um, I've been kind of, you know, toying with some musings I'm writing about uh, intersectionality of being a Black woman and being a heterosexual Black woman who is often, you know, thought of like most people don't think that I am, you know, because of how I interact and, and how, I guess, fiercely independent I am. So I'm thinking about writing about just, you know, the, the intersectionality of being Black and, and being woman and, and how those kind of, you know. I think it goes to what, what Dr. Reverend Starsky was saying, you know, there's a how to be, you know, uh, like we expect black men to be and if you're a black woman and you're independent then you must be uh as opposed yeah. to us being able to be <laughs> however we are and it's okay because we're contributing something to the universe and being our authentic selves instead of these tropes and these caricatures that somehow we have to try to fit into i have a, a running joke that i'm not going to be anybody's good wife but i'll make a good husband you know, like I, I installed my ceiling fans. I've mounted my TVs. Like I love a good screwdriver. Like I am, you know, misfix it. So that's like my running joke. And, you know, it's, it kind of, you know, it's interesting when people kind of question, like you did that. And I'm like, nobody else was here. Uh, I think I did it, you know. So we should do a dating show. All right, let's talk more. Uh, and Kyla would love to have you back on. Kyla underscore Lacey is where you can follow her on Twitter. And uh, we tweeted out the, the poem uh, that you heard. And of course, pinned on her on her Twitter page is white privilege, which is amazing as well. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate you. Thank you. I, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to another Karen, my mother. Oh. So uh, I know people were, yeah, people were like, you're going to, it's like my mom. Because I'm always hey, talking about my Karen Lacey. Mom. Is she Karen Lacey? Karen Robinson. Karen Robinson. Robinson. Hello, you did a great job. Wonderful job raising yes. this young lady. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.